0: As uh, Paul is uh, on sabbatical, uh, he will not be with us the next um, seven weeks. We've already, one of our, one week already down, and uh, nothing's falling apart. Praise God. (laughs) So we're grateful for that. Uh, It's great to be a part of a church um, that just recognizes and encourages um, our full-time uh, pastors and ministry staff, to take a break uh, for some rest and some rejuvenation. And I'm sure that uh, Paul is well on his way to that. Um, he'll be doing lots of that at home. Um, he's going to be visiting some family across the country that he hasn't seen in a long time. Uh, he'll be attending a couple of conferences, and uh, we look forward to, uh, to getting him back um, in June because it's almost May, um, which just hit me this week. And Mother's Day is like two weeks away. So, if you haven't gotten anything planned for Mother's Day yet, this is this is your reminder. Uh, get get to it. So, over the next uh, several weeks, Paul—not um, Paul, not Paul uh, Ryan, uh, Greg, and myself—will be uh, doing uh, the bulk of the preaching. Uh, but uh, throughout there, we've got a couple of our uh, missionaries uh, coming to speak as we continue. Um, in our series, Going Through the Gospel of John. And uh, Tom Woodward is with us today. Uh, He's from the uh, C.S. Lewis Society. He is also a college professor. Uh, Tom travels um, the the U.S. and uh, all over the world um, teaching um, in college um, areas and youth as well as adult arenas about apologetics, uh, why people should believe, why people um, should consider the evidence. So if you have a question um, today about just anything So Tom is your guy. Um, He has uh, spent um, his life work um, studying um, so that he might um, help people see um, the validity of the Gospels, the validity of a a creative um, designer. Um, So Tom, we're grateful that you're with us today. Why don't you come and share with us?
1: Thank you. I was going to say, yeah, when I heard him say he can talk about anything, I'm thinking, oh, (laughs) <laughs> like a light task, and um, I'm expecting actually a couple of my classmates. Believe it or not, I went to Canal Winchester High School. Yeah, it's a miracle. <laughs> you yeah, actually graduated Woodward. Actually graduated. My, that's my. That's me. Um, class in 1968. So I'm. You know, when when we had our 50th reunion. You know, you know That they, just kind of like jars you. Oh, my goodness, 50th high school reunion. That was in, uh, let's see, 2018. And I think I stopped by and saw some of the congregation. We were in uh, town just real quick. Uh, I just had far too much fun. But Skip Hawkman, my friend Skip from our class, who was, I think, ongoingly until, until Christ comes back. He's like the president of our class. He may be uh, dropping in. Now, you're forbidden. You cannot ask him to, uh, to tell you any Tom Woodward stories. <laughs> Those are under wraps, right? You know, the CIA has us uh, all under control. So uh, I think it's May 15th, I, rem- I think, coming up, when my new colleague, uh, Mike Sherrard, he's a spectacular guy in the area of apologetics, almost a legend, because he was responsible for taking a college ministry in apologetics, Ratio Christi, like, you know, one half is a ratio, you know, two thirds, okay, and, and you learn that in math and high, junior high or whatever. So, ratio Christi means reason for Christ, evidence for Christ. They, they thought it would be cool to use a Latin name. So, people are like, huh, what does that mean? Oh, it's reason for Christ, the reasons for Christ, evidence. And so, they were all over colleges, two or 300 campuses, and people said, we need them in high schools. Okay, great idea. Because the high school students are often are where people are checking out. You know, the nuns, you've heard of that phrase. The people who say, Well, I'm none of that. You know, I'm not a Christian anymore, this or that. Well, we've seen that when high school students hear a clear and winsome and really a wonderful, you know, understandable presentation of the scientific, historical, biblical, and even the life change side of the evidence, they go, Whoa, this is fantastic. I didn't know any about this, anything about this area. And so Mike Sherard, after he wrote the book Relational Apologetics, literally was given the task of expanding to high schools across the U.S. and the world, the Ministry of Rational Christi. And he did it with great vigor, creativity. And he, I always like to put a big check on that box and he is now our new like war horse in the, in the, what do you call it, the, the harness? You know, you pull the chariot or whatever, the cart. And so I have a co-war horse that is leading the charge, and he's going to be here May 15th. Woohoo. hoo Pretty cool. And so he'll be sharing the Word of God. So I hope you enjoy meeting. He's uh, just a great guy. He's just He's been pastoring for 10 years in addition to writing books on apologetics, but he is just a visionary, and he has the big picture of how God is working through apologetics tsunami. There is a tsunami, just a wave. There's a tsunami. It's like 10 waves piled on top plus some. And that wave of evidence from philosophy and again um, genetics and fossil studies, and I can name 15, the evidence for the resurrection. We just in our radio program this last month has featured the top two experts in the world on the resurrection. So our podcast and radio broadcasts brought this to everybody listening coast to coast. Thank you, Jesus. And so all this evidence is mounting up. And I always like to say, you know, get out your surfboard, ride this wave. You know, when it's a tsunami, a thousand feet tall, be be careful, you know, with your surfboard. But that is what we're seeing. God raise up this tsunami of evidence. I'll be ministering, if you would just put on your kind of prayer notation, I'll be ministering on the Princeton University campus. That's where I trusted Christ in 1969 as the end of my freshman year. And I'm going back <laughs> now. It's my 50th college reunion, so uh, scary, scary. But but we're having Max McLean. You may have heard of the movie that came out in November, The Most Reluctant Convert. So we made contact with Max McLean and said, Would you consider coming down to the seminar I'm leading on campus? That's Friday, May 20th. He said I'd love to, and he gave us like you know an honorarium uh, that we could afford. Thank you, Jesus, and uh, and he, so he'll be there not only at that seminar. And inviting all alumni, it'll be a wave of alumni coming back because of COVID. They haven't gone back in two years. So would you pray for that? And we're hoping, and he said he would even do a live Zoom, and I'm going to invite you all to join that live Zoom. That'll be probably in August. Isn't that cool? So uh, New Life can be like part of that live Zoom. And so he's agreed to do that as well. We're going to invite all Princeton alumni and the members of New Life, visitors, et cetera. And we're going to invite everybody. But that's going to be fun. So, uh, And we're doing a two-and-a-half-week ministry tour, another local apologist in Tampa Bay. And I will be speaking probably about a dozen, maybe two dozen times. We're getting the final schedule in Australia. And that's coming up in mid-July, and we get back in early August. So would you just lift that up in prayer? A lot of planning, a lot of kind of invitations going out. And we're going to just tell people about the tsunami. We're not going to use that word necessarily, but there's so much powerful, encouraging. I mean, what a time to be a Christian when just there's more evidence than you can ever imagine having and including, of course, the foundation, which is the Bible. Oh, speaking of which, we're going to be talking about that. God has given us a message in his word. One scientist said, well, we have another book. And the book, he says, is going to vie for attention And allegiance with the Bible is the genome, because there's actually six billion of these letters. I only have 21 here in the DNA inside your cells. We developed this as a teaching tool and as a witnessing tool. So some of you have seen this. We actually did a seminar, I think it was 2018, something like that, at New Life. Some of you may have attended that, and it was just an awesome experience. Thank you, all of you, for supporting that. So we are using this, and Discovery Institute that, that heads up the intelligent design movement just Friday said, we want to feature this in all of our grassroots training we're doing across the U.S. and beyond. Thank you, Lord. So, but this guy said, um, this actually it was Watson, co-discovered DNA, wrote a book on DNA. He says, I think this will this, this book, this digital kind of hard drive of information is going to displace the Bible. And I just laughed. So said, good luck with that. This codes for proteins and uh, other you know, little things that are called RNAs that just do their own thing. And, but this doesn't tell you how to live. And by the way, the author that wrote the Bible also wrote this. So the, 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 the mastermind of the universe who created everything so beautifully and high tech is the one who created you and, you and me, each of us, for a purpose, and he created the DNA and left his signature in every one of your cells. Is that not cool? Okay, so you can come up later and take a look at that. You can touch it and fiddle with it and do all kinds of fun things. So, uh, but with that said, I just wanted to kind of give you a little bit of an update on what we're working on. And what I uh, thought we could do as we transition into the passage for today, I just wanted to mention that for me and my little computer, there it is, uh, for me, it was a kind of exciting challenge. To be uh, kind of informed by Pastor Paul, that you know we, we've assigned you this Bread of Life discourse. I thought the, the timing is perfect. I mean, God just worked that out great. But the the Bread of Life discourse is one of my awesome favorite, just amazing sections of Jesus's teaching in the Book of John. So it, it was exciting. But at the same time, I'm, I'm really thrilled. I'm thinking, uh-oh, it's deep, and it's a little bit tricky here and there. And so I'm thinking, I'm not going to you know, lose my, my sanctification by, by saying, this can't be true, God. No, I'm welcoming this opportunity. But because it's 45 verses, actually 47 to be exact, 25 through 71. So in John 6, if you want to open your Bibles... John 6, uh, starting at verse 25, we're going to be zeroing in on a few key verses here and there because I want us to get the big picture. Uh, when I was in college, I had a, a kind of a, a snarky, funny friend who, who was always making funny, you know, creative, wise, wiseacre, wiseacre comments. And, and he said, uh, you know, the ultimate uh, essay question you can get here is define the universe and give three examples. You like that? Yeah, define the universe, the totality of everything that ever existed, and give three examples. Have fun with that essay question. Well, this isn't quite that big, but it's still kind of like, wow, this is going to be exciting, but a bit tricky. But uh, I think we can uh, pull out the truths, the maximum big truths that we want to start to unpack and then apply to our lives. So let's begin with the uh, actually watching a bit of a video. I want you to hear Uh, Henry Kusick, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, He's known, uh, let me just get his, Russ Taylor. Anybody ever watch MacGyver? Anybody here? You know who Russ Taylor is? Oh, okay. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) I didn't remember the the character's name. I had to look it up (laughs) on uh, what IMDB, Internet Movie Database. And so Russ Taylor, he's kind of like, he's in his mid-50s and he has kind of, I think, a bit of a Scottish accent. He's the helper who who made, he came on the show a couple of years ago. You know what I'm talking to, talking about. Anyway, so my wife loves MacGyver. I just kind of like to see it now and then. Okay, so this is the guy, same guy, Henry Kusick. Is he's, you can look him up. He's done a lot of TV, you know, big successful shows, got nominated for an Emmy, also movies. But his his to me ultimate experience that I thought was a wow times a thousand was when he played Jesus. In the movie that came out in 2004, I actually took some students watched in the movie theater, and it's the Gospel of John. And I pull this off of YouTube, and you can too, because instead you put Gospel of John, go to YouTube, and your search window, Gospel of John, and you just put John, John 6, okay? And it's uh, 14 minutes. We're going to watch just about two minutes of it from, um, so we, we skipped the, the miracles that were covered, you know, the feeding the of 5,000, walking on water, that was covered last week, I think. or or two weeks ago and then so we're going to do the seven minute seven let's go
2: on the other side of the lake
1: they said to him teacher when did you get here
2: I am telling you the truth you were looking for me because you ate the bread and had all you wanted not because you understood my miracles do not work for food that spoils instead work for the food that lasts for eternal life this is the food which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has put his mark of approval on him. What can we do in order to do what God wants us to do? What God wants you to do is to believe in the one He sent. What miracle will you perform so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do?
1: <laughs>
2: on, Zessus. it manna in the desert, just as scripture says. Eve gave them bread from heaven to eat. I am telling you the truth. What Moses gave you is not the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the real bread from heaven. For the bread that God gives is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Give us this bread. Give us this bread. I am the bread of life. Those who come to me will never be hungry those who believe in me will never be thirsty. Now I told you that you have seen me, but will not believe. Everyone whom my father gives me will come to me. I will never turn away anyone who comes to me, because I have come down from heaven to do not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And it is the will of him who sent me that I should not lose any of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them all to life on the last day. For what my father wants is that all who see the Son and believe in him should have eternal life. And I will raise them to life on the last day.
1: The people started grumbling
2: about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. This man is Jesus son of Joseph, isn't he? We know his father and mother. How then does he now say he came down from heaven?
1: Okay, did you enjoy that? I think it's pretty powerful. I think it's one of the greatest gospel films ever produced, and I I want, I mean, I want to encourage you it's not that expensive if you want to get the DVD or, you know, do the streaming fee. It'll be a blessing, and I think we can actually use this as a witnessing opportunity. It's a little bit long, but it's so, it's three hours, so, but it's so well done. I mean, Henry Kusick does a fantastic job of representing Christ. Every word of the actual Gospel of John is in the movie. Every single word, John 1-1 through the end of John 21, and it's, it's it's a major achievement in my view. So I wanted to share that with you because I thought it would help us to get into the to the book and the the, the chapter of the book of John that we're looking at. And I want to just show you a kind of a diagram, if I could do this. There is a flow of action. I want to give the big picture. I'm going to fly at about 10,000 feet for just a few minutes. So the big picture for the gospel of john chapter six the bread of life discourse after he's done the two miracles is that rising superstar would describe their view of jesus so he is his popularity is is at a pinnacle so if you if you rate it you know he's like 60 70 maybe 80 percent popularity uh we love jesus because he just fed us our tummies are full so they've got their eyes, not the entire crowd necessarily, but the vast majority on external things and not the internal things of eternal spiritual life. So Jesus starts out this whole section, these 45 verses, as the rising superstar, and then something happens. I call it the three steps of they're, they're puzzling. They're, 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 they're like mysteriously just trying to un- unpack this. We don't understand The things Jesus is starting to teach them. So they're puzzling. We know. Remember the guy got up on the kind of the rock and said, this is Jesus. We know his mother and father, indicating that Joseph may have been uh, still alive or or was alive, maybe up until recently. And so we know him. How can he make such claims? Is he a lunatic? Again, the Lord liar lunatic argument of C.S. Lewis comes to the to the background So there is this puzzling. And then the more Jesus teaches them, he says, "Okay, you brought it up. I'm going to dive right in because they bring up, you know, Moses giving manna in the wilderness. And Jesus likes, thank you. I was hoping you would mention that. That's my on ramp for what I'm going to teach you. And so they go from puzzled to perplexed. And we'll see there's a next step because the puzzle and the perplexity, Jesus says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And then eventually says, you must eat my flesh and drink my f- blood. And that's where they say, oh, we're grossed out. I know you guys have never used that phrase. Yeah, I've used it many times. Oh, gross. Okay, and I think that's, is that the correct way to putting? it? I'm grossed out. Yeah, I, I've used it. Okay, close enough. My English teacher would say, I'll accept that. So... But oh, gross, I'm out of here. So they're puzzled, they're perplexing. I'm creating a new version of the verb. I know you're supposed to be perplexed, but I'm saying they're puzzling, they're perplexing, they're acting perplexed, and then they're basically protesting. At the end, they basically We're out of here. And that's where we see the third step. Jesus becomes to the vast majority of this kind of hanger oners, you know, the ones that are following and kind of listening to him and. Oh, what did he say? No, he couldn't have said that. Oh, yeah, I heard him say, "What? I'm out of here." So they literally vote with their feet; they leave him. The vast majority. So this is a real, in a sense, turning point of the whole book of John. But the the power, and I want to just stress the application. So thank you. That was. Let's uh, thank our IT. You can go ahead and just, just <laughs> quietly clap and thank you, the IT team. And that's for also thanking you in advance for the rest of the good job you're getting ready to do. Okay. So but Jesus is like giving powerful truth. And I think you know, one of the things they teach you in seminary for preaching, effective preaching, you have to have the the core, the big idea. And and when you actually you so you study a text, and you get the big idea, and then it becomes a preaching idea, so a little bit of a transition. So I'm going to give you my preaching idea. You ready for it? Jesus feeds our souls. Jesus is the nutrition. I took a vitamin tablet this morning. My wife and I have been doing it for years at the advice of our doctor, but Jesus gives us all the carbohydrates, proteins, and nutritional bits and pieces that we need spiritually. And so if you want to be strong and healthy and growing and dynamic and excited and joyful and just the pleasure of a relationship with God, feed on Jesus and His Word, His personal relationship with you. Now, how can I make such a rash and kind of, you know, a big claim like that? It's in John 6. And 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 the way Jesus develops it, there's a bit of a, it's like an edge of drama to it. So, are you ready? Let's go ahead and just jump in. If you have your Bible, uh, we're not going to actually go to, we'll just keep that, go back to that other screen. Thank you so much. We're, we're good. I'll, I'll give you the, the cue on the next one. Um, so, Jesus is basically... Um, Telling people, I am the bread of life. And then the second thing that he's going to show us, the on-ramp that we access that bread of life, is simple trust, a heart, dependence, reliance, resting on Jesus, and then acting. As we truly believe his word, we act on it. But works can't save you. And that's what he's going to say pretty quickly here. And this, of course, this... uh, wave of popularity, they're actually tuning in pretty well. So let's just take a look here in verse 27. He says, work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son will give you. Now, already Jesus is giving a hint of what he's about to teach them. He's talking about food, right? How were the muffins? Were they cute? Were they nice? They were cute. like Little bite-sized I think those are awesome. Um, I'm going to have one during the break. So. And we have a little round table where you have some DVDs and some, some books if you want to meet me there. But um, bring your muffin with you. And, and those, those are very nutritious. And food is important. We love food. We love to have fellowship around food. Jesus says, that's what I'm all about, is to provide the food you need for now, physically, of course, as well. But the spiritual food you need for now to be saved to walk with me every day and then to carry you on into eternity, full of the joy of the Lord and more alive than ever when you when you meet him face to face. And so what I want to just point out is that in these, these opening verses, verse 27, uh, they're talking about physical food. He says, work for the food that endures to eternal life. You see that? The food that carries you right into eternity. Eternal life is a very... Um, I teach the phrase to my students, and we teach uh, the life of Christ. and I teach them the phrase Zoe Ionion. Zoe means spiritual life, like Z O E, all right? And, and it's used, I don't know, 90 times or more in the book of John. Ionios means of the age to come, the age of beautiful perfection. And that was promised throughout the Old Testament. So Zoe, uh, actually, Ionios, sorry, Zoe Ionios is the phrase that Jesus is using here. And it is used dozens of times in the book of John. Now, does, does uh, any other person in the Bible use the phrase Zoe Ionios? Yes, Paul does. Romans 6. This is the gift. You know, eternal life is, is through, through faith in Jesus Christ who died for us. So, the dropping the kind of the, the shocker is that you need... If you're talking about working, you want to work? I'm going to tell you, Jesus says, how to work. Work by trusting. It's like, oh, I just trust? How shocking. Well, that's the way Abraham was saved, right? He believed when God took him up out under the starry sky, reference from Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, and and God says to him, so shall, shall your descendants be. He didn't even have a child. He's 90, approaching 100. It's not until about, he's 100 years old when, when uh, Isaac is born, right? So, and he actually, I think he was about 80 at that point. But anyway, he's old, okay? I mean, he's up in years. And God says, so shall your descendants be. And it says, he believed the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Trusting in his heart was the changing, you might say the turning point of his whole spiritual life. So Jesus is saying, Absolutely. Uh, Habakkuk chapter two, which Paul quotes all the time, uh, says the same thing. You shall live by faith. So Jesus is putting in front of him this, if you will, the DNA of salvation, the core key truth. Now, when they when he, he works with them, as it were, and explains this, um, and they and they basically say, well, what would the son of man, you know, um, you're talking about the son of man. What, how, what does this mean? Don't, don't, we, don't we just do the works God's told? And here he said, this is the work you should do. Look at verse 29. The work of God is this to what? To believe. Again, that's the on-ramp to feeding on Christ. But he's going to give us other pictures of, of what belief looks like. It's really exciting. And then they say, if it's say in verse 30, what sign will you give? And they're wanting another sign. They already he already got you know gave them two huge signs right, fed the five thousand, plenty to eat. There was some food left over, and then he walked on water. And they kind of figured out how, how did you get here? You, you didn't you didn't leave with the disciples. How are you here with them? You went up to some mountain, didn't you? We saw you headed up somewhere that way, and you're over here. And so they're seeing signs. Jesus says when they ask about the man in the wilderness, he says, thank you very much. Thank you for bringing up Moses. You have provided the perfect segue, the perfect on-ramp for the core of my teaching. And this is where we'll go ahead and show the next verses. And this is really amazing. So just take a look at the screen here, if you would. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Hint, hint, he has given me to you. I'm the bread. But then he's going to get more explicit. For the bread of, he- of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So now Jesus is front and center. You know, he's placing it right under their noses for them to consider. And of course, they are not really grabbing onto it right away. Um, they say, it, but it sounds like that. Sir, give us this bread. And then Jesus declares, and this is the next slide. Um, I decla- he, Jesus declared, I am. By the way, ego, a me, the Greek word, is the one when they translated the, the burning bush. Remember that? Exodus 3 and 4. When they translated that from Hebrew into Greek, two and a half, no, about two centuries before Christ they chose the ordinary Greek words, ego, a me, I am. So when Jesus is saying ego, a me, guess what is immediately triggered in a Jewish reader, a Jewish listener? Oh, that sounds like God. That's the name of God. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. So he's laying out the truth, but he's giving a warning shot across the bow of their ship saying, you guys aren't picking up on this. I'm trying to give you a reality check and, and you're missing the main point. Come on, you know, listen up, pay attention. And they're really not wanting to go in this route. So he's, he says... Um, after this uh, incident he of, of confronting them that you do not believe, he adds this, and this is where in the midst of their puzzling and they're just about moving into the perplexity, perplexing, remember I created this new verbal form of the word perplexed. Okay, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Now here is where John gets a little extra exciting, or extra challenging. You can look at it either way. Um, John basically here and down in verse, um, let me just take you down real quickly, (coughs) verse 44. Can you just uh, let your eyes kind of slide down to verse 44 if you have the Bible with you? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent sent me draws them, and I will raise them up, At the last day, I will bring them to resurrection life. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draw him. And that's similar to 37. Now, what does that mean? It means that God is not desiring that anyone perish. Okay, check out Second Timothy, chapter two. Check out Second Peter, chapter three. God desires, has a moral, holy will that everyone be saved But he allows people to come into existence who he knows ahead of time will never turn to him, and they will reject, reject, reject. And and I know this is one of those kind of sobering moments because throughout the, the Bible, I think there's this open offer of salvation. The challenge, of course, is to put them together. One scholar says they're like two rails on a railroad line. You have to maintain both sides. Both God is offering and people are responsible for for responding. But God says, I, I am the one who makes the initiative. I am the one who literally gives them the ability to come. And so they can't glorify themselves. Oh, look at what I did. We are beggars who found bread telling other beggars where to find bread. That's a kind of a, a good way to put it. So I wanted to deal with that. I can't go, maybe if you want to just strike up a conversation around the table, I'll, I'll leave my cards there if you want to call me or, you know, Text me or whatever, I'd be glad to carry it further. Uh, so, if we could just go ahead and now leap to the next passage, this is where it gets even more interesting, and we're almost ready to come to the conclusion. By the way, we, we stopped it right where the transition is to the synagogue. We're not going to deal that much in depth with the synagogue portion. You can just again see the YouTube clip where Henry Kusick playing Jesus brings it into the synagogue and does the rest of the passage. Okay, verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me. Look at how powerful this is. That I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. And notice that... um, he is basically assuring that Christ is not going to lose anyone. If anyone has truly come to Christ, and you'll, if you follow through this passage, faith in Christ is compared to coming. I remember the night I accepted the Lord. I had already pseudo, falsely uttered a sinner's prayer about six months earlier, and I didn't mean it. I just kind of blabbermouth, you know, blah 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 blah, whatever. I repeated someone's. Uh, prayer that they told me to pray, and I just got out of there. I thought, "Oh, this was a bad, bad move," but God convicted me and convicted me over a period of six months in a personal one-on-one Bible study. I was convicted that I was a sinner and that I needed salvation. And so, at the at the home right off the the main front campus of Princeton, right across from the library, there's a bunch of houses. I was in a upstairs bedroom. We were studying. It was the last meeting of the year. And the guy laid out the gospel, and he said, you need to trust Christ as the one who died for you and rose again, and then you can have eternal life. And then your questioning and your, your, your doubting about eternity will be solved. I said, do I have to do this here in front of you? He said, you can do it on your own in your room if you want, but let me know right away so I can counsel you. I said, I think I'll, do, I'll get it over with. I'm going to do it sooner or later. Might as well get it over with now. <laughs> That's how I kind of responded. <laughs> And then I uttered a very sincere prayer, and I don't know what it was. The Lord, I'm sure, caught it on videotape, so I'll, I'll check it out later. But, but God, when, when I prayed, truly, it was like I don't all, any longer doubt where I will go when I die. Not because of any good thing I've done, but because of what Christ did for me, and dying in my place and rising again. And so I remember that moment. It was almost like I was in a dark room and, and you know, I didn't literally see this, but it was kind of in my mind's eye. You know, you can kind of imagine, you can picture things, and someone had gently grabbed my shoulders and turned me around in this dark, like, gymnasium with no lights on. All of a sudden, I almost visualized Jesus shining in the darkness, and my, my sense, my urge, quiet urge, is come to me. In other words, go to him, and that's, in effect, in my prayer, what I did. I went over I didn't actually walk over, of course, in my, but in my mind's eye, it was like walking over and embracing Him. And so, to, to look to Christ, to call out to Christ, to embrace, to come to Him, to receive Him, those are analogies of faith, which I think it's cool, it's amazing that the Gospel of John includes those. Now, this is all amazing and, and very powerful, but in the in the verses that follow, there is grumbling and Uh, he refers over and over to this fact that I am the bread of life, verse 48. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. You may eat it and not die. That's verse 50. And then it gets really thick. This is where we go from puzzling and perplexing to protesting. I'm, I'm just leaving. I'm out of here. And so let's go to the next set of verses, and we're almost ready to wind this up. Jesus' shocking words, I call them shocking because I think they're shocking, and I I don't want to downplay this, okay? Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Whoa. This is where I said, you know, some people who, it's like, you know, cannibalism, I'm grossed out. Jesus wasn't referring about nibbling on his fingers, you know, and taking a bite out of of, some part of his physical body. That's the point that sometimes people think that the Lord's table is physically... We're literally physically taking, you know, and and the bread is turned into his body. And I think, you know, I'm referring to various um, denominations. I include them in the circle of mere Christianity. But I think what we need to realize is that although, like the the, uh, theologian Wayne Grudem in his chapter on the Lord's Supper, great, great theologian, we use his textbook at our college. Wayne Grudem says there is a, prefiguring of the Lord's Supper. And I say, okay, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I can see sort of, a, he's, he's letting them know ahead of time what's going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper. But when we're even in the Lord's Supper, we're not literally physically taking him. What are we doing? We're remembering his death. We're connecting with him spiritually. And Jesus is symbolized and powerfully, but the reality is that you need to receive Jesus into you and feed on the relationship with you have, that you have with him. Does that make sense? Okay, so when Jesus is saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood, I don't think he's necessarily, there may be a side connection with this. When, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, what did they do? They ate it. And the blood was placed on the doorpost, Remember? When they left Egypt, Exodus is chapter 6 through 12, 13. Okay, you can read it later. When they sacrificed the the Passover lamb, they did eat it. But the key was they trusted the God who told them the way out, the way out of death. And so it was the faith. Now, if you go, I think we have another visual, and if you can put that up. Jesus says just about, uh, what, seven chapters later, Uh, Actually, it's uh, nine chapters later, chapter 15. Okay, Jesus teaches. The last night he was alive before his crucifixion, he taught his disciples, abide in me as a vine is attached to the branches. We are the branches. He is the vine. He's the trunk of, of powerful life. If you remain connected with him, you will flourish. You will produce fruit. Would you guys like to bear fruit for the glory of God? Let me hear an amen. Amen. Yeah, that's old fashioned uh, acknowledgement there. Okay, I want to abide in Christ. I blow it. I I thought that the the confessional song of confession of sin was really powerful and cool. I've never heard that before. Thank you for that. And as we uh, confess, He instantly heals us and, and, and forgives us, cleanses us and we continue that relationship, I think what Jesus is trying to say is receive me at every level and feed on me, depend on me, let my life flow through to you every moment of your lives, and you can do that today. If you've never trusted Christ, today could be that turning point where you have the first taste of eternal life trusting his son. If you've been a Christian for, who knows, a couple of months, a couple of years, a couple of decades like me, you can continue to rededicate your life to Christ, perhaps using Romans 12, 1 and 2. You know, Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your what? Bodies. That means the totality, body, soul, spirit, conscience, mind, everything, your heart, the total you. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Now, that doesn't mean we crawl up on some altar, right? But spiritually, you are presenting your body, and we can do that today. And then not, again, receive Christ for the first time, but enjoy, thank Him for flowing His life through us every day. And live this life as the most exciting, amazing day of your whole life, starting right now. I think that's what He's inviting us to do. I think that's the connection between John 6 and John 15. Jesus is calling people not to to focus on, I love discipleship seminars, but discipleship seminars and everything we do in discipleship should be to refresh that connection with Jesus himself. And that's what this is all about, is entering the divine life and ramping it up to that incredible level that God has planned for us to be fruitful and to enjoy him to the max. Can we close in prayer? Thank you, Father, for opening our hearts and minds to some amazing truth. In this very uh, powerful, a little bit tricky here and there, but amazing, powerful passage, we thank you for opening us to the truth of feeding on Christ at every level in our hearts and minds. We love you, Lord. We present our bodies now as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to you, and uh, help us not to be conformed to this world, to to be radically transformed by the renewing of our minds. We pray in Christ's name, amen.